0: This episode of Local Knowledge is presented by Empower. Take control of your financial future and empower what's next. Hey, golf fans. If you have money questions, Empower is here to tee them up, get you answers, and help keep your finances out of the rough. Plus, with the free Empower personal dashboard, you can link your accounts to see your net worth, plan for retirement, create budgets, and more. It's time to take control of your financial future and empower what's next. Find precision in your money game at empower.com and get your free Empower Personal Dashboard today. For allied rivals, all roads lead to Rome. And eternal glory.
1: Hello and welcome to the Ryder Cup Radicals Podcast here recording from Italy with my fellow Sambuca boys. First up, Joel Beale. Joel, how are
2: you? Realize we have yet to drink Sambuca yet. We've been here almost four days. We gotta get on that.
1: Piling on the wine though, and the limoncello. So Sambuca is uh, surely in our future. And of course, Shane Ryan, how are you, Shane?
0: Yeah, other than being attacked by the Italian Air Force, the entire Italian Air Force, which you'll probably hear overhead, I'm doing good. I've had a wonderful time with you guys. No Sambuca yet, but lots of red wine. We've been seeing a little bit of the city uh, with all the hard work we're doing in between. And yeah, it's. Uh, I think Ryder Cup Week's gone faster for me than it did at Whistling Straits. Yeah,
1: I agree. I thought Whistling Straits was like painfully slow, uh, personally. I just feel like, like even though the tournament doesn't start tomorrow, I'm not necessarily feeling like I don't have anything to talk about tomorrow. I feel like there's stuff that's kind of unfolding. Um, so we're going to get into some of that today. Um, I guess... Where better to start let's start with the u.s side right got two americans on this pod and just like anything any two and a half, and a half true true i am the sept of this pod um i don't know what anything interesting starting out to you especially like you know given a couple days from the site of marco simone
2: talking to a few of the caddies and i think me and you had a similar takeaway when we walked the course the other day they don't feel it's as penal as paris was in 2018 Uh, certainly the rough is going to be a factor um, but they have cut the rough down from when they did the scouting scouting trips a couple weeks back Um, it's not that they are discounting the home field advantage but i think they think there's it's it's going to be a little bit more evenly matched in in terms of playing on the road than it has been in the past Um, and it's been kind of hearing that from the top down from the u.s team so that's been kind of the biggest takeaway something that really has defined the last two decades of the Ryder cup is home field advantage. And at least the Americans so far are thinking, Hey, like maybe this hill is not, not as uh, tough to climb up as we thought.
0: I I think uh, we were last night at dinner joking that, you know, you can make it so penal and theoretically give yourselves an advantage, but it's not like if you're team Europe, you enjoy playing golf in that in that situation so it's like you know th- there may have been like we've heard maybe there was some talk that the european players were like come on cut it out like this is insane like even if it gives us an advantage and the joke we're making was like it's nfl football you like if it's chicago bears you know you might have an advantage over a team from florida if it's negative 40 degrees out but nobody on the bears wants to play in negative 40 degree weather it's still unpleasant and so it is interesting to say like okay look enough is enough even if it gives us an edge moment back because this is not how we want to play golf like we don't want to lose our balls on every hole in the rough we, we want it to be kind of normal and even if that plays to the american's edge is probably worth it for the europeans not to have their own people sort of hate them for what they're doing
1: right and it's such a good point because that was definitely the vibe i was picking up too, talking to a few guys where you know they grew out the rough to basically uh do the wing foot thing as i was telling you guys where they're like narrow it up, make it all rough, make the fairway so narrow that they're just hard for everybody to hit. And then the, you're just gouging, you know, you're gouging it out of the rough. And in that world, it's really just a distance game. It's about who can bomb it the furthest in the rough. But then to Shane's point, like a lot of these players, even though it may advantage a guy like Victor Hovland or Rory, they don't necessarily want to be spending you know, five rounds over three days in the boiling heat, gouging out a rough. <laughs> and so, you know, and and it was quite funny because I think that was the feedback. And they started, they started mowing mowing it back a little. That said, I don't think that entirely erases the Europe advantage in terms of, you know, Eduardo Molinari's big stats guys played a heavy hand and trying to like do all these different things, set up bottlenecks so players can't get inside 130 yards. That's kind of the course game plan. Um, there's been a few, the graduated rough sort of plays into this a little bit, but the reachable par 4s, the par 3s being on odd holes, there's a few different movements going on here that I don't think erase entirely, but I do think they have they were a little spooked by the feedback about the rough, and so they have indeed, like, dialed that back.
2: Luke, going off that, the, the one interesting uh, takeaway from, at least when we talk about the rough, was around the greens, it was very patchy and... Not exactly universally cut, which I think is going to make for a fun, a fun watch. Because if we, when we think of really thick rough, we think of something like Oak Hill earlier this year, the PGA, where it was so thick and so dense that really you only could hit one type of shot out of it around the greens. And while you would think that would maybe hurt people who have bad short games, it actually kind of equalizes the field because you know there's only one type of shot you can hit, and so good players really can't use their creativity, and bad players they don't have to worry about screwing up. The, the the fickle nature of the rough around the greens, I think, is really going to test the guy's short games this week. I think that slightly favors Europe. Um, but then also, you know, Victor Hovland, even though he's made strides in his short game, still not the best. And um, I mean, obviously, John Rahm is one, one of the best, has one of the best hands in the game. Um, but I, I do wonder how that's going to play out, especially given some of Europe's top guys maybe aren't the best around the greens.
0: The um, one interesting thing from today's press conferences, Max Homa was talking about when they made their trip over to Italy. And Luke, you I think the bottleneck thing is a huge thing where you're like, OK, we don't have to necessarily have the wrap up everywhere. But if we know that Americans hit it here more, we can pinch in the fairways or anything. But Homa was saying that the great benefit other than camaraderie and chemistry of coming over earlier is that it essentially took a day's work away because he was saying that he came in the first day and was hitting the wrong club off several tees. And some of that was the bottleneck effect that you talked about. Some was just, you know, this plays more downhill than we thought or something like that. But by the second day, he knew what clubs to hit. And so I, I just think that it just shows you, like, how important planning is for subtle things like that. Nine of the 12 Americans were there. And so I think they're going to know, even if, even if Eduardo Molinari made some really smart moves, they're going to kind of know how to avoid some of the pitfalls and traps, I think.
1: One interesting thing I forgot to mention about this scouting trip that somebody told me today was that when the Americans came over, you know, they came over before the uh, Europeans. When the Americans came over, they had the greens rolling at like 12, 12 and a half on the stint meter. And like these greens out there today, I was asking one coach, hey, what, what are they rolling at? They're like, maybe 10, you know? And so that's significantly slower. So I love a little bit of gamesmanship going on here. And it also makes sense because... The greens, especially on the front nine, are pretty undulating, like very up and down. You had these things rolling at anything close to a, like a US Open speed, it would be like literally unplayable. And so I I like to think there was a little bit of early mind games going on there.
0: I just love the idea of before the Americans coming, Luke Donald out, turning the street signs around, like in a cartoon, (laughs)
1: like Marcus Simone this way,
0: just flipping it. And so like Zach Johnson's wandering around clueless.
2: Off of what you said, though, Shane, on, on the max point, it, it is worth reminding that the U.S. team didn't really take – they didn't take a trip in 2018. So, I think Justin Thomas was the only guy who had really seen the course before that week. So, um, I think that – I think sometimes we wonder how much these scouting trips matter. Is it just a matter of camaraderie? I think in the U.S.'s case, it really at least paying dividends early in their prep.
0: Going off home field advantage type stuff, uh, the story I wrote today and the que- today we had like eight of the Americans, everyone except Can'tley, Shoffley, Spieth and Thomas, do their pressers today. And the question I wanted to ask all of them was just about the crowds, because my personal pet theory, which, by the way, Max Homa disagrees with. But I think the overwhelming biggest home field advantage is having 60,000 screaming fans in a sport where they're closer than they would be in any other team sport. And also nobody's used to it because you don't have this in golf. And a lot of them, a lot of the guys were like saying that, you know, that treasure the silence, make the quiet them down, like revel in the silence when we do well and they do poorly. But Brian Harmon uh, had, I thought, the the most introspective and best quote. And also just on a side note, Brian Harmon's awesome in press conferences. Like so, I mean, not even underrated at this point. Just great. Just, just a true pleasure. He's almost the best one we had. But he had the experience of. You know, more recently than anyone else, he's never played in a way Ryder Cup, but he won the Open in July and had people heckling him and things like that. Not it's not going to be anywhere near the scope of here because there's probably a minority of voices here while obviously at the Rider Cup, everybody's going to be rooting against you. But he was straight up just like it is overwhelming at times and there's no way it doesn't affect you. So many people are taking like a tough line. He's just like it's. You just got to. You just got to accept that it's going to affect you and be overwhelming, and try your best anyway. I thought. I don't know. It's just so cool to see somebody that honest about it, who's experienced it so recently.
1: It's such a good point, and it, it actually reminds me of something Justin Rose said today too, where he was asked about the crowd and pressure and home field advantage and stuff, and and what Rose said was that playing in front of your home crowd gives you the ability to like outsource your. Like, mental energy to some respect, right? So, like, if you're super pumped about a shot, like, the crowd roaring, like, gives you, like, a push upwards, right? You start feeling great. And then, conversely, like, because the crowd is so partisan, if you hit a bad shot, they're not going to pile onto you. They'll, like, lift you back up. So, you're kind of, it's constantly pushing you in like a very positive frame of mind, mindset stuff. Because you hit a bad shot, you get like, come on, Justin, you can do it. Like, and you hit a good shot, and then it's like, you go into overdrive. So, you just see, it's almost like a compounding effect where good things just keep happening because it's like the voices in your head are like literal voices around you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just like the the literal, yeah. Your conscience is being reflected by 60,000 real human beings.
2: Oh, the most interesting part of Harmon's answer was, this is a guy who looked like a killer in that face, too. For To him then admit that vulnerability and still be able to succeed, I mean, I think it speaks well to him, but it also shows that these guys who think, hey, like especially those who haven't experienced it yet, maybe are unprepared for what's going to hit them. Um, I thought actually, uh, kind of on in a, in a similar vein, today someone asked Brooks Koepka, hey, Everybody, you know, all 24 guys would say they'd want the ball on the line if the match came down. How many people do you think really believe that? And Kepka only said a few. And whatever you think about Brooks Koepka, like he actually can get to the truth, I think, quicker than most guys can. So it, uh, what for what this course might lack in, in terms of architecture, I think in terms of a venue, it's going to be really packed. There's going to be, I think the fans might have a, a bigger impact, especially than we saw at Whistling Straits. I know there was still some COVID restrictions there, but. Uh, I think we're going to see a really loud Ryder Cup, and it, especially the way the topography is, it's going to be really conducive to noise. So in that front, maybe you could see the fans factoring in more so than we've seen in the past.
0: Which is scary because the last four Ryder Cups have been home blowouts in which the fans have obviously played a huge role. Like you said, Whistling Straits is a weird layout. It, it almost like hid the noise. There's those like big hills that kind of like hide the noise and there's COVID restrictions. But yeah, it's I think, Joel, what you said is so spot on that they're they're simply not ready for it if they haven't experienced it like a lot and it's and, and i think it's like that's what i liked about harman's answer just admit it just admit it and that will almost strengthen you a little bit more because to take the tough line of oh we love it love when people are against us it's like no, you don't really know or like like Wyndham clark was like we've all played sports before and i'm like i'm sorry your high school basketball game while like i've been there it's like real right and it can get in your head it's not going to be like this it's it's a whole different level a whole different scope and uh yeah a certain amount of reality i feel like is probably the prescription for this to kind of do what you can to prepare for what might be an unpreparable type situation
1: i also i i, I agree i don't think this is like this incredibly like innovative like piece of architecture but i actually think it's gonna be a fantastic rider cut course because the greens are weird there's op- there's a lot of like half par holes on the back you know like reachable par fours short par fives like all all these kind of stuff um I, I, the greens are super weird especially on the front so i think that's going to push people into aiming at pins and then yeah to just to underline that point about the crowds i think there's something to like it rider cups feeling it's a little hard to describe but it, it, like when when you're a player and you're inside the ropes and you feel like the crowd is like literally on top of you I think that like can really rattle players sometimes like France had this a lot because there were these like there was these sort of hills around some of the holes and stuff so often the crowd's vantage point was looking down onto like fairways and players and stuff and it just gives it like a very oppressive feel right it feels like you're surrounded and the, the people shouting at you are literally above you and I do think that that's kind of I get vibes on this because it's so up and down i think that's going to kind of happen here um
2: yeah i think especially t- to that point on the layout basically from eight on it really reminds me of valhalla and in, this, in the sense of there's a lot of risk reward maybe again not architecturally the best but every event valhalla's has, has actually facilitated a lot of drama uh i mean the 2008 rider cup you may not close but an american victory and it, it was um one of, one of the rare american victories at home uh, and it was just one of these it's just a really it, like if you kind of go off the fairway and they've really cut back all the bushes too a lot of the players have said since they did the scouting trips they're going to pack a lot of people in here and you're right look especially if you're going to go from 15 on there's there's such dramatic drops in terms of elevation that you are going to have people feeling like nine or ten rows of, of people standing right on top of you so um Yeah, you're right. Whistling Straits was just kind of an odd being right there on the lake too knocks out a lot of the sound. So but yeah, I I think it's gonna be a really loud Ryder Cup next three days.
0: And I, I think having been at Ryder Cups and the one that always comes to mind is Hazeltine following Rory. In between the holes, you're literally walking through tight, tight crowds and they're they're on it. They're screaming at you. They're yelling at you. There is probably not enough said about how little psychological and physical space you have until you finish a round, especially, obviously, if you're the away team, you go out there, immediately people are on you because there's grandstands everywhere. Your only freedom is in the fairways, right? It's like when you're on the green, people surround you. In between the holes, people are literally right on top of you and probably shouting things that are not very nice at you. The only freedom you have is in the fairways. And if you kind of tighten that space too, like the... Almost spiritual claustrophobia of it. it just just feels overwhelming to me and and I think that's something again that they're probably not quite prepared for about what a trial that is, and you don't get to reset like you don't get to take a break, you don't get to go into the clubhouse like you know maybe like Europe should remove the porta potty so they don't even have that although, although ROM would hate that
1: them european only porta potties <laughs> so that be so sick um I want to get into some just like gossipy stuff from the grounds but first I would like us to officially stake out our positions on this like trendy uh topic that keeps rising up in press conference which is off the Solheim Cup's tie which led to the Europe retaining the trophy and a lot of players have come around and they said what do you think of ties like should the Ryder Cup do something new should they start doing the and I really like can't stand it personally I like the you gotta win the cut back mindset um I think sometimes a lot of people think oh you should just do a one on one shootout and it can be like a penalty shootout for soccer but i just think every suggestion i've heard about this keeps getting more and more like gimmicky yeah. and it's like alarming but i i don't know I'm, my mind is open but i just I, I don't think I've even asked what you guys where you guys land on this kind of thing because a lot of players seem like they land on the passively for it but they don't necessarily love it
2: either i i'm okay with the tie like you should the tie going to the the reigning champ it's it's so unique and it, th- this idea that well we it, I, in pay on theory in theory it sounds great right sending two guys out or a couple guys out to play for it but i think one of the beauties of this thing is like you actually have to win it if you're the away or the losing team that adds a little bit more pressure. I think it actually gives it more meaning when you do win it back. Um, yeah, I, listen. I know we don't like ties, especially in in America, but I think it's it's a really cool thing. It's kind of like you almost know, like a it's like boxing, really, right? You know, sometimes if if it's a it's a, a championship fight and the reigning guy wins, he he retains the belt, in a in a way, it's kind of like that. Um, but yeah, I I just. I know it can seem anticlimactic, uh, celebrating a tie as a victory, but I, I'm also okay with it.
0: I love the idea of retaining the cup with a 14-14 tie. And the, I think the reason I love it is because it's unique in sports. And the principle of it is we have the cup. You come over here and take it from us. And if you don't, like, if we if we spend all week in our team event and it's 14-14, we retain it. But I, just that that point of how different it is in sports. And like you said, boxing, I, people on Twitter have been like cricket, like has things like, like the ashes apparently is like this, which I don't really follow, but I I loathe the desire to, to homogenize everything, to make everything the same. Oh, we hate ties. It's like, like you said, Luke, every suggestion is worse than the last, and and the original suggestion of one on one is bad. Imagine, imagine you put everything into the team planning, all these like these three days, and then it's like, oh yeah, we're gonna go decide on this nonsense like one on one match. It sucks. It sucks, and it's cool to have things that are different. That's it. Like I, I wouldn't like this in baseball if they declared a tie. Right? There's other sports where my answer would be different. Not everything has to be the same. I I compare it in my head to. The uh, this recent movement in golf to change the language to and I'm going to sound like a crusty like curmudgeon, but all square is cool. Having a match is cool. We don't have to say tied. You know what I mean? Like like we have our own unique language for this. That is something to be embraced and nourished, if anything, not not to like homogenize and to be like, well, Americans will know better. We can figure out what all square means. And it makes you feel part of the club if you get into this mindset with a unique language. I, I just hate that. I hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Yeah.
1: And I think also like it just adds a bit of. I think sometimes people love these like clean resolutions. They're like, ah, oh, well, why don't they just have like one alternate shot pairing because it like ties it up in a nice bow. When it's not necessarily like if the winning, if the challenging team didn't do enough to like mathematically win it, it shouldn't necessarily be an opportunity to have a nice happy ending. Anyway, it should be like annoying that they are like in this status quo, uh, status quo situation for another two years until they can win it back again. I just think it adds a little spice to it. So um, but clearly we'll corrupt golf media and we all just we're all landing on the same position here. <laughs> But um I, I, like, I like it. That this could be the next wedge issue. It's like yeah, the next yeah. league. Right. what you think about ties and yeah. stuff or or when we record next and if uh it's a it's a tie and america retains the trophy then maybe i'll uh, m- <laughs> m- m- maybe i'll sort of flip my business. yeah send send out brian harman yeah <laughs> brian harman bobby mack um uh anyway all right gossipy stuff let's get into it um who are we thinking i don't know what's what's the vibe out there we, we, we anything interesting to sort of capture our imagination
2: this is from yesterday but the the one thing that was universal for a lot of the Americans was Justin Thomas and how he's playing. Um, not only how he's looked in, in the practice sessions and just around the course, but has a little bit that swagger back. He, he's he's a lot chippier. He, the, the self-belief is a lot more evident. I think, no, I think, let's be honest, he's the biggest question mark for the U.S. coming into this. This guy who should be their leader is now kind of the sex factor. The Americans are acting like, no, he's Justin Thomas again. Um, there's really no doubt at least in their mind, I'll grant this all can change depending on how, they, how he plays Friday. But their confidence in him is high. Uh, now, that, again, how much of that is trying to get the word out and trying to get Thomas's confidence up? Uh, you could debate that, but I was I was really shocked that people went out of their way to talk about, "Hey, Justin Thomas is looking good."
0: On the European side, I'm hearing that Bob McIntyre is lighting it up definitely going to play all five sessions and might be the best player ever in a Ryder cup. <laughs> now, obviously that's a joke. Like it, it, you're hearing like some dire things and there's videos on Twitter of him, like like hitting a driver. Like I do basically <laughs> like, it's like 220 yards and sliced and everyone, it kind of seems like he's the one on the European side that, no matter how like closely they tried to hold their intelligence like word is leaking out that it's just not happening for him um and then i don't know like there's stuff on kepka i I don't know how much we want to get into it because it's very speculative but it seems like there may be like potentially some stuff there um that he might not be operating at 100 percent. but again i i'm not operating with any inside info i'm just kind of repeating conjecture or whatever um i don't know what you've seen what else you've seen Luke. but those are kind of like the main
1: things yeah, so like I the the the, the thing with Brooks Kepka, right, is that like when a player's had lingering injuries that keep popping up throughout his career, um, you're always just kind of keeping an eye on it, right? This is not me speaking in code, this is not me saying that like Brooks Kepka is currently injured, but like, you know, he was playing last week, he didn't play so well, he's had his physio out there, which to be fair is like pretty normal like a lot of guys have their fitness guys out here you know he's getting his back worked on a little bit so it's just sort of something just to like keep your eye on you know i hope he's like feeling totally fine and i expect him to be he certainly hasn't alluded to the fact that he isn't but again like the same way that like i watched bobby mack hit a pull. A pull, a low pull draw, <laughs> like the skirt of the water on the 16th hole today, and that's something to keep an eye on. It's like, you know, you always wanna this late in the season, after a long season, you want to make sure that guys are like firing physically at their best. Um, one thing interesting is Scotty Scheffler has just been pouring in the hours on the practice putting yes, green. Every
0: single time I walk by, every single time I walk by,
1: he's there. Pouring, I mean. Like Monday he did a ton. He just hired Phil Kenyon, who's like might be the busiest man in the Ryder Cup <laughs> because he's he works with Homer, now he works with Scheffler, he works with Fleetwood, he works with Fitzpatrick, he works with Justin Rose, just like this legendary putting coach and Scotty Scheffler went out and hired him. His putting stroke, we I did a video on it, but like it looks a lot different when you get into the weeds of it and he's clearly like, I mean he was talking in his press conference about it, he's kind of like hooked himself on like putting a little bit. So that's interesting. Like I'd love to see it work. because Scottish Sheffler with a hot putt is really, really exciting proposition.
2: It'll be interesting because I feel like the last eight or nine uh, holes really fit his game in the sense that Luke, when we made our walk around, those the, the first the front nine is just so dramatic. It, you're not going to see, I think, a lot of guys dropping putts. So in that sense, it's going to be nice that you know it maybe it lessens Sheffler's weakness. But come come the back, and the, if the greens are running slower come Friday it gives Scotty a chance to to really make a move. And if if he's putting well, I mean, put it this way, if he's not putting well, the Americans are in trouble because that's their number one guy, I think. If, assuming Thomas isn't, you know, back to form. Um, and if, Scottie, if they can't count on at least two and a half points from Scotty Scheffler, man, their, their road to victory then gets a lot narrower.
0: Yeah, and I'm someone, you know, spoiler alert, we're going to do our predictions later. I think we're going to have a historic result this time, but... To your point, Joel, the margins are so incredibly small. that that's all it would take, right? If it's like one guy, if you're like, oh, Scheffler's gonna be 0-4 this, then you're like, oh, they can't win. <laughs> like it doesn't take much because that's how that's how much I respect like home course advantage here. It's like it's just like in whistling straights. Like you told me beforehand that Rory is gonna be pretty bad. Like, oh, they have absolutely no chance they still might not have a chance if he's good. That's that's the way these things go now where it's like everything has to be logistically pretty close to perfect for the Americans to win this thing. And I do think they can. Uh but yeah, like Scheffler doing that, it's interesting because you're like, well, is the, the week of the Ryder Cup. I mean, you respect the grind, but it's like is it kind of too late? Like can he can he do it? But then I remember in Whistling Straits Colin Morikawa wasn't in great form and he was grinding, he was up at like 5 a.m. like like and he was awesome. So, I uh, one way or another, like, you, you kind of have to tip your cap because it obviously means a lot to him. Uh So much that he, you know, like, skipped uh, skipped the media today or made us wait, like, two hours until he would come in. But, yeah, so I, I'm with you, Joel. Margins are very, very fine. And someone like Scheffler, like, you need him to be on.
2: The one thing, too, I think, from Scotty is acceptance that the punting need at work, right? For so much of the summer, he pushed back on the idea that his put it was, hey, it's, this is an aberration. You guys are making this more out, you know, that'd be a problem. I think he kind of finally had a come to Jesus moment and he's put it in the hours. And I-, I think that alone, that the fact that he, he knows that I think is, is a step in the right direction. Um, I, w- I did want to add one more thing in terms of the rumors that passed on. I think a lot of us kind of, you know, a- Aberg. no one really knew how they're going to utilize him. This is a guy they're going to count on for four matches. So they're going to really, you know, he's one of the last guys on the team. We're only going to see him maybe twice before Sunday. It sounds like they're going to right now, and they might ease him in and depending on how Friday goes, it's going to really dictate Saturday. So, I think those already booking Aberg in for four matches. I think we should pump, pump the brakes on that.
0: I'm so interested in Aberg. All anyone says about him is that he's quiet, and that is not my favorite adjective to hear. Like, oh, he leads by example. You're like, okay, sure. I I, I don't think on some level it's probably appreciated that he's like being quiet and learning from everybody. But I think you also don't you want like somebody who's got a little bit of swagger. Like, you know, like John Rahm, like that's who you want, right? John Rom in his rookie year or the first time he played in the Ryder Cup in Paris. Sure. Like he probably learned a lot from the veterans, but he probably had a sort of inner self-belief too it, and Aberg might as well. But I, I think it completely makes sense not to play him in foursons, right? You don't want to like send this guy into the college in an alternate shot right away. I, I would imagine he'll play in four ball Friday afternoon, like almost the thing. But Luke, I want to put this to you uh another thing we saw in whistling Straits is the crucial importance of the first session now europe in the past two home rider cups has lost the first session and then come back and dominated in foursomes but luke donald did something interesting which is he said i think we're better in foursomes we want the early lead so we're going to do it first which has been something that the americans always do but europeans have always gone second so now if you lose the first session i think it's a little more dire for the europeans But I think America getting out to a deficit, if America loses, that's a pretty awful deal, too, because it's just going to make things harder for them. So I'm, I'm like, flagging these first four hours on Friday as, like, maybe – I'm not saying the cup's going to be wrapped up or anything crazy like that, but could be insanely crucial.
1: No, I I definitely agree it could be insanely crucial. I do um – i'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth though I, this is like a very different european team than we used to have right like i think one of the reasons europe was so good in foursomes before was because you had a very like equal top to bottom order right Where you didn't necessarily have like Cle- i know like we've had world number ones like luke donald and martin kimer up in those past teams but they weren't like stand out clearly better than everybody else world number ones right and a guy like luke donald even at his best was very close to a guy like graham mcdowell or justin rose or henrik St- you know they were like all very similar in terms of like overall quality And that just kind of lends itself well to foursomes, right? You can pair, you have lots of different options. You can pair lots of different guys together, whatever. Now we're seeing a situation where we kind of have three top dogs on this team. We have Hovland, Rahm, and Rory. Are you like, are your top three? Then you have some, some middling guys, but there's a pretty big drop-off between a guy like right now, let's say Nikolai Hogard, like very good young player, but Nikolai Hogard is nowhere near the level of like a like the third best player on our team who might be victor hovlin or something so i i don't necessarily know if like this new look european team is gonna like divide down these like clearly better and foursomes line um just because it's like different it's like a different structure of team i guess is what i'm trying to say like, well, formats, but... i think so um because one thing because i do think like the us team is stronger the stronger team generally does better in four balls so the the worst thing that could possibly happen is that you send out four balls first the stronger team performs like at or above its like expected value in four balls and you're like you're like feeling like you're losing the Ryder Cup before it's even started going right i feel like those kind of like runaways are probably slightly less likely to happen with foursomes going first because it's just there's a bit more like randomness at play
0: I um wanted to ask you this to both of you guys. I think what we've heard from the U.S. for the ever since the task force, really, is that this team doesn't need an emotional leader. This team needs to be able to, like, function as they do during a normal PGA Tour week. They need to have distractions minimized as much as you can in Ryder Cup week, which is not easy. And they just need to be themselves. And. By contrast, I think Europe thrives on passion, thrives on hype videos, thrives on speeches, and they also thrive on having these emotional leaders. I think there's a vacuum there, Luke, especially this week, this year, without all these live guys there, not even in a vice captaincy position. And so I I may be reading too much into things. Joel, I'll kick it to you first. Like, is this a problem? Is there like an emotional leadership vacuum in Team Europe that might hurt them in some way that, in my opinion, wouldn't hurt the Americans?
2: It's a good question. My my gut response is I don't think it's going to hurt them because even though Rory says he's a lead by example guy, you talk to other players and they feel they're gravitating him. Rory, Rory's essentially been the face of the PGA Tour for the last two years and really put up with a lot of nonsense. A lot of guys respect who stuck with the tour respected his actions through that. So I think there's a natural respect just from what he's done through that. Obviously, Rom is now kind of one of the veteran guys. He's a guy that can get very fiery. He's a guy that also helps a lot of these younger guys that that maybe people in the public don't really realize. I don't think and this is, and Luke, you probably heard something similar. It almost sounded like one of the odd things about 2021. And look, that it was it was a transition year. There were, you know, four guys over 40 in that European team. The American team was just stacked. But there was this kind of odd dynamic that your most vocal players were guys who are arguably your worst players. And this idea that they still felt like ownership of the team to maybe an extent a little bit more than their bounds. And there was kind of this weird dynamic because of that. I think with this new transition out and having Rom and Rory as your kind of two leaders and, and you know, bringing a veteran guy like Justin Rose in there as well. Um, I think it's actually more conducive to success than maybe what we saw in 2021. At least we're looking from a, a camaraderie locker room standpoint. Um, but we gotta ask the european what do you think about that
1: so i don't think there's like a leadership vacuum in the like traditional sense of the word like he's our captain he's our vice captain he's these are our role player types i think the strength of these past european teams is a bit like i was saying earlier is the top to bottom strength and what that gave you like when you had a guy like Garcia and Westwood and Poulter and McDowell and whatever, you know, like name those group. You could then have the luxury of being able to pair them up with these younger guys. You know, so there wasn't like a one like leader of the team, even though Ian Poulter obviously kind of like assumed that role. The value of those guys was that you could like pair them with a young like Polter could get paired with a young Rory McElroy, and then that would take care of the Rory McElroy like getting the best out of Rory McElroy situation. And I think that like that's what we saw over and over again um you can only pair so many guys with like ram uh rory and hovland right who are also still young themselves like this is only hovland's second rider cup i think that's why a guy like shane lowry became such an automatic pick on this team is because they're kind of looking for him to like maybe take in a player under his wing you know i think justin rose can kind of play that role to some extent like there weren't many like firm questions asked about whether Justin Rose could be on the team. So I think that if there is like a bit of a discrepancy in terms of leadership, I think that's where you'll see it arise. But in terms of the like, who's going to be our Sevi Ballesteros hoisting the European flag and leading them into battle? I don't think it, I think it's more micro than that, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
2: I agree and Let's be honest. It's not like Rory McIlroy is, uh, you know, uh, still a guy out there. We we've seen a different side of him. Once the Ryder I mean, he almost fought half the gallery at Hazeltine. You know, right? Even in 2018 in Paris, when people were kind of chirping about his putting, he was yelling, "You think I can't putt? You think I can't putt?" And so, yeah, maybe, normally Rory maybe doesn't have that rah rah and day to day stand. But this this brings out a different side of him. So Shane, kind of going to your point, I, I think if you are worried about that vacuum rory's able to fill part of it and also maybe maybe having those old guys kind of not old guys but having different voices in there is what this team needed
0: yeah that's that, it's going to be uh, fascinating to watch and to hear about to whatever extent we do hear about it when it's all said and done um i do think <laughs> i don't know why but i just think the u.s team has a feeling of stability to me uh, that i don't quite see from the europeans right now but Uh, Often too, I think there's like bias playing into this because, uh, you know, one thing I wrote today in my prediction post was we have to, someone like me has to reckon with the fact that Americans, no matter how objective we think we are, are bad at seeing our own flaws when, when the moment comes. And so there's almost this energy. I saw it in Paris too, from a lot of people, there's almost this energy as the Ryder Cup approaches that all Americans are like, yeah, we're going to (laughs) win. right like, just like we can't resist it right it's like luke i think it's a joke about actually english soccer like every every world cup too right it's like no matter what like all the english people think they're gonna win it just is like irresistible and so i'm seeing all these things but then i'm questioning myself of like am i seeing what i like subconsciously want to see even though i don't really care who wins the ryder cup i just want it to be close but i do i do wonder like is there some american impulse that
1: i i just can't control the only thing, the only like red flag I would kind of flag up for American fans is that th- th- so like Europe very much is like this. We have a system that Shane, as you wrote about, like Tony Jacklin effectively put in like the guardrails for a system that then has then been built upon over time. And very much it, the, for better or worse, they the mindset in Team Europe is we have a system. The system works trust in the system improve the system and like our flaws tend to be when like we diverge away from it when we start going against it um and i think you know you see this manifest itself in a lot of ways but generally speaking you you start the value of something like that is that it sells your players on the idea of the Ryder cup on the idea of like needing to like put the team first and do all these different things. You know, Justin Rose is out there today talking about like being an older head and whatever, you know, doing whatever the team needs from him. Like this is a pretty like common refrain here. I think the mindset with team USA and alluding to the red flag that I was talking about is that they always say like, we just got to like get out of the way, make our guys comfortable and and let them like give them the ball and let them shoot kind of thing and i just i, I don't i think i just don't think that really exists you know they, it always manifests itself with them saying like we just got to make our guys comfortable therefore like give them maximum control over their schedules try to make them trying to make this mirror any other pga tour round let them play with whoever i want and there's elements of truth to this but like the Ryder cup isn't like any other event the Ryder cup's super weird and the schedule's super different and like you're not going to be able to like fool yourself into like thinking that you can warm up for a th- for a Friday, uh, for a Friday foursome session at an away Ryder Cup and act like that this is like comparably similar to warming up for your third round at the FedEx St Jude Classic. Like it just, and and but I think that's always so absent in like the American approach with a lot of this stuff where they don't sell them on the like uniqueness of the Ryder Cup and the fact that you have to get out of your comfort zone and it's always more about like we got to make like you Scotty Scheffler like peak comfortable so like we're going to pay you with Sam Burns you can do whatever you want you sure you can skip your press stuff if you don't want to do it right then and there and I don't know like I just I think that that leads to like complacency and I think that leads to like sometimes like a lack of new ideas coming in and it doesn't it leads to these like boom and bust cycles sure. I,
0: I think if i were arguing against you and i, I think lo- a lot of what you're saying is right but i would say that what they're trying to do is mitigate it i think like you said like it, it's such a huge event that you're not going to be able to fool them into thinking you know hypnotize them into being like this is the sanderson farms or, or whatever the case uh, i don't know why that's the funniest tournament to use Is like you know, it just makes me laugh every time but but no it's uh you know I think what they're trying to do is to reduce as much as possible, like Brian Harman just said today, I don't think I've had fifteen minutes to myself, so it is still a chaotic schedule. It's not like they're having a ton of downtime and relaxing. I think I think they trust that the u s players want to win, understand the passion, and understand the stakes and I was just saying like within that context we've got to we've got to reduce, reduce, reduce. we've got to take away as much pressure as we can because the reality is there's just so much pressure to begin with that we can't control. So that that's kind of what I would say in response. It's not like they're trying to like fake it. It's just that they're trying to make it somewhat less intolerable <laughs> for these guys. Um, I don't know if you guys are up for this. I, I put on uh, both Twitter and on the Slack I'm on full of golf fans uh, for some questions and some, some people have chimed in. You want to. So I think the first one, which is good, which we should talk about anyway, is uh, from Jake Johnson on Twitter. What can you take from the practice groupings so far? And, you know, Rick Gaiman, who we like, a uh, friend of ours, did a, did a service where he took the two Tuesday and Wednesday practice groups that we've had. And he said, here are the pairs that have played together two days in a row. For the U.S., it's like exactly what we think. Spieth Thomas, Cantley Zander, Scheffler, Scheffler, Kepka, which is interesting. And then Homa, Harmon and Fowler. Um, but I think it's a little more interesting on the European side. There's a perfect four pairs that have played together every day only four of them. Hovland and Rom, which is super eye-opening. I don't necessarily think we're going to see that, but that would be cool. Straka, Fleetwood, Hatton and Aberg, which again intriguing, and then Rose and Hoygaard, which to your point Luke, would make sense from that sort of veteran taking on a rookie kind of thing. Uh Joel, you want to go first? Like what do you what do you make of this and is there anything we can learn so far?
2: Yeah, I think the Aberg Hatton one's the one that sticks out. I mean, that's talk about some ball strikers. That's going to be so much fun to watch if those two actually play together. Uh, I think the Scheffler Kepka one really stuck out for me in the sense that, you know, I think we everyone just penciled in Scheffler Burns is that's you know those two definitely have two matches together. Um, it's funny. I, I think those those two actually go really well together. Um, Harmon actually playing a lot with uh, Max as well. I think those two. I don't. I doubt we'll see that. But having the fact that those guys were, I think Harmon was a guy that his game complements everybody. In the same time there was no obvious definitely this is going to be his partner um so kind of seeing it's it's theoretically been whittled down to those two um has been interesting uh but yeah the Ron rom thing's a little bit of a head scratcher so far because i that, that seems like almost a desperation play if you're putting two of those guys together you're almost cannibalizing another group by putting two stars there and it, it, at best you can only get one point out of that and possibly surrendering another for that but what about you luke
1: yeah, I don't think they're going to play together. I think it's going to be like, a. a I think Straka might play with Hovland. But honestly, you guys have kind of covered the pairings. The thing that I just wanted to add about, like, practice round takeaways is that sometimes I try to approach these things getting less micro on who's going to play together, because we kind of have the broad strokes idea on both sides of the aisle. Um, it's, it's almost more interesting to just think about, like, what are you seeing in terms of, like, quality of how players are playing? And, you know, like a guy like Terrell Hutton, I, I watched probably a combined nine of his 18 holes and he, I, I've like yet to see him hit a good shot. He's like really not playing well. You could, Again, big grain of salt. You can only read so much into practice rounds. But I think that's interesting. A guy like Seb has played really well, at least from what I've seen. I've, they've been playing together a lot too. Um, so I kind of feel like he might, stuff does change at Ryder Cup. I kind of think he might be a bit of a Swiss army knife for Team Europe because he, it's a good solid boring in the best kind of way ball striker hits a draw you could pair him with Rory that makes sense he's long enough to to keep up with a guy like Hovland, um but not so but not so sh- you know he's like long but not like a bomber he keeps in the fairway but he's not short he's like he's, I think he could be a little bit of a, a dark horse here for team Europe um yeah and, and I just think there are a few like there, there are a few it's always interesting to just look at like how guys are playing and and size it up that way
0: this is an ad read for the company Belay. Belay, it's a company. Please use them. Oh, Shane, you completely blew it. That was the worst ad read of your career, and you wanted to nail it. Belay's a great company, and you completely blew it. That was too boring. And you know why I blew it, folks? I blew it because I've got too many menial tasks to do. I've got to go to the grocery store. I've got to take the garbage out. i got all these little things that if somebody else was helping me, I could have focused, and I could have nailed that ad read. Can you relate to that? Well, if you can guess what, I ironically have a company that can help you out, and that company is Belay. Listen, for over a decade, Belay has helped match busy leaders, business owners, and entrepreneurs with high-quality executive assistance. Their U.S.-based specialists will help take care of the little details so that you can focus on what matters most. They send emails out. You got to keep you know keep your calendar up. Do some research. Client communication. That is just the tip of the iceberg in the list of things a Belay executive assistant can do for you, and that list, believe me, goes on and on and on. So if you're wondering how to get started with an assistant or what Belay can do for you, we have a free resource just for listeners to this podcast. Text the word GOLF to 55123 to download the top 25 things an executive assistant can do for you. That's G-O-L-F to 55123. And let me tell you something, I'm about to do it myself because maybe if I get one of these executive assistants from Belay, I can nail this ad read next time. Um, A good good segue to the next question from Twitter, Big Daddy Drix, which is a hilarious name, uh, unsung hero for both sides. And you you kind of got into it there. Uh, Joel, you want to take a crack at that one
2: first? To me, I think especially in golf, we always get infatuated with the, the shiny new tour, right? That The inverse of that is sometimes we take for granted guys we see all the time and maybe aren't the best but are just dependable. Justin Rose is someone who I can see scoring two and a half points this week. I I think people we just hey it's Justin Rose he's there. Maybe we're not expect. I think a lot of people on the outside maybe like one one and a half points. I can see him doing two and a half even three points. I can see that's someone really coming through for for at least the Europeans. The Americans. It's funny he's he went from overrated to now I think almost underrated and that's Max Homa, what we saw in the Presidents Cup and he got off to that really good start in the in the early part of the season that he kind of then had a bit of a, a slump and we wondered oh man did he kind of peak too early but he's had really good last ten weeks and this is an environment he seems to enjoy uh, so I know he's a you know technically a Ryder Cup rookie I, I not to put too much stock into what we saw at Quail Hollow but at the same time. That's a guy who maybe is uh, someone they're not depending on who I can also see coming through with two and a half points in his first three matches.
0: I'm going to say Harmon just because I really enjoyed his press conference today. <laughs> as good a reason as any, right? No, I actually do think Harmon has a good chance to do it. Joel, I think to your point, it, it's kind of interesting to try to prognosticate who the alt-shot pairings are going to be beyond Spieth and Thomas, which we think, and Cantley and Shoffley, which I mean, both of those should be just slam dunks. I feel like Homa will play in that first session. I think Harmon might too. It's crazy that it is. I, I think maybe, um, I think maybe Fowler. I think Clark might not. I think those are like maybe four ball guys. But I, I'd be interested if Harmon Homa is a third uh, alt shot pairing, and that that would be a group that I would like to follow on that first on that first Friday.
1: And it's a good point. Like, and why I could see something like the Harmon Homa thing happening is because. I think, at least from what I understand, the, the kind of ideal formula for foursomes, alternate shot, is pairing two players who play golf very similar, but in a best case scenario, one is like marginally better at the other's weakness, right? So in the case of Homer and Harmon, in the case for that would be that they both are like play golf very similarly in the sense that like keep it in play, good ball struggles, fairways, greens, all that kind of stuff. but homer's a little longer than Harmon, which is harman's weakness and harman is a slightly better putter than homer which is homer's weakness right so it's kind of this like nice little middle of the venn diagram potentially where like they play they play golf very similar but they it's just like a puzzle piece fitting together so yeah i could see something like that happening for sure i think that's why we'll also see rose fitzpatrick on the other side um because rose a very different player than he was when he started playing in rider cups but like Rose is a very good putter. Um, yeah, he's a very good putter and he's a very good iron player, but not quite as long as he used to be. Fitzpatrick is obviously a very good putter, but slightly longer than, and than Rose now from the whole. So um, again, like just kind of, they don't necessarily need to be the best players. I think when you see foursomes pairings fall into traps is when you one guy starts putting the other guy in situations that he's almost never in. That's when it starts getting, that's when it starts getting uncomfortable for them.
0: Yeah, really good points. Joel, I just want to do a quick follow for you. If you're the U.S., are you forced, essentially, you may want to, but even if you don't want to, are you forced to play Scotty Scheffler in the first session because he's the number one player in the world?
2: Good question. I would say no, and that actually, I think, speaks more to Scottie Scheffler, though. I think he's the guy who, whatever's best for the team, I'm there for. Um, it is interesting, though, when you have a guy who, I means not only the world number one, He's definitively the world number one right now, right? Um, and I, I think this is also a U.S. team that is deep, but maybe not as deep as we thought it could be a couple of months ago. Um, but I, it, it's interesting. I, it's. I don't think they're forced to him. But that being said, if if he sits the first session, I can't see a scenario where he's not then playing the next three.
1: I don't know why you would sit Scotty Scheffler though. I don't know. Like I mean i would play him. i would trot him out first i may even have him hit the first shot if i was zach johnson granted like just because he's world number one like i think uh he's also pretty unflappable guy and i think sam burns is it like like it is really like nice that that the guy who's again the guy who plays golf similarly to scotty scheffler but like is a better putter like it's just a very nice little like hand in glove situation there so I I I would, he would be locked on to start for me.
0: And, you know, the stats guys are going to know exactly like who can take 13 points or, you know what I mean? Or 13 putts rather, who's going to hit the most approaches. So they'll be able to arrange it. And yeah, my question wasn't meant to imply that you wouldn't want to, just that, let's say you like Sky Shuffler like comes to him and said like, I just can't putt. Like, do you have to still say like, well, you're our flag bearer. All right. So going to the Slack, uh, some funny questions that we don't necessarily have to answer, but deserve recognition. Anthony says, who's in charge of TV cameras? Uh, which is a really great question. I don't think it's the German outfit who did like the Solheim Cup. um You know what? Someone asked, "What is our breakfast food?" and I think I can answer for the group that the answer is none because we have like a giant eight course dinner every night in in Rome.
2: Hold the phone. I our hotel has this wonderful croissant uh right by the front desk. I've become a big croissant guy. I don't know where. I mean, think was right It kind of comes with the fancy coffee culture. Um, but yeah, I've been doing croissants. Like at least I kind of sneak them into. I like I eat one from like the nice lady behind the desk and then sneak a second one because I think you're only supposed to have one per person.
0: Well, we've been calling you Barada Beal because uh, because of the <laughs> the barati, Maybe Croissant Joel also.
1: I think he's on a three-straight-night barata appetizer streak. I don't think I haven't been keeping those receipts, John. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, our, and our, our, our fascist Uber driver told me to get the mozzarella de, de buffalo, de, and I took his advice, and it was really good, and barata's really good. So it's almost like we can't go wrong. Yeah. Well, well. so here's my friend Aaron. First of all, asked, how many animals has Brian Harmon killed already? Brian Harmon in his presser today uh, said that his wife threw a Butcher Brian-themed party after he came back from the open, which is so hysterical. But Aaron also asked, was Hadrian right to see Trajan's territorial gains? And what does it mean for Aberg? We don't have to get into Roman history, but I do want to point out that last night we saw both a Hadrian monument the Temple of Hadrian, and we saw Trajan's Column. So we've been out there, boys. We have been out there in Rome. We've eaten there twice in a row. We have made the effort, despite fatigue and and long hours here at the media center, to get out and see the center. And last night was kind of a—I I don't know if I want to use the word magical, but it was almost like a magical evening for me. Luke, what do you?
1: Yeah, no, it was. I—we've been on a, I've been—we've been enjoying the the late dinner. I, I was saying to you guys before we're in this rare situation often the situation we find ourselves in is by the time we leave work for the day every restaurant is closed apart from the like pizza huts of the world whereas italy is this brilliant venn diagram where the food is the food culture is both just delicious and also it's elite it's an eat late culture so yeah we've just been piling it on last night we went downtown rome we're just walking around we saw the Colosseum. we saw all these things uh i've been really enjoying one thing I've been enjoying, and shout out to Shane for I feel like being the momentum builder with this, is that we've like really committed to the like rhythm of the dinners. So we, you know, like in Italy, you get an appetizer, then you get a pasta dish, then you get a main course, and like we've been getting dessert, and then limoncello outside. So we've been like, we've been like living well, and um yeah, I've been fully th- thoroughly enjoying.
2: That said, Shane and we have the proof of this. Shane did say, "Hey, I'm not saying we'd not go out tonight, but." Tonight's probably not the night to go out. We talked him into it, and, and he had a magical night. Uh, I've never seen the, seen the boy happier. Uh, <laughs> but it was lovely. The Roman night was uh, very magical. and I'm glad I spent it with four other dudes. It was a good good way to, good way to tour Rome.
0: And it was uh, one of those things where it's like we finished dinner, and it's like, oh, we should go to, back to the Pantheon because we drove by it to get there. That's it's like, oh, I wonder how far the, the Trevi Fountain is from here. And then it's like, you know, 0. 0.4 miles. And then we go, it's like, how far is the Coliseum? It was 0. 0.9 miles. So we walked and hit all of those. Meanwhile, our friend Sean is like, ah, they got this in Vegas. <laughs> Shout out to PJ Tourist Sean Martin for being the classic tourist. Uh, it was hysterical. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, Italy's been <laughs> Italy's amazing, actually. <laughs> like, also, our shuttle broke down, so I feel like we've gotten the full, the full kind of experience. Um, what else? Let's see. What else are people asking? Um, I don't know. I think, Luke... Oh, yeah, Luke, maybe it's time to go to your questions that you wanted, and maybe that's a good way to segue into our, our final predictions. So, yeah, lead us there, Luke.
1: All right. So yeah, let's just run through some of our predictions, right? So the first one is, you know, what do you reckon the overall score is, is going to be? Shane, we'll start with you.
0: So yeah, I'm on record. I wrote, um, I wrote my prediction post today. I think it's gonna be close. And I think the Americans will win. So I went with the classic 14 and a half to 13 and a half.
2: I'm, I'm sticking with Europe. I think it's gonna be really, really close. But I just think the home field advantage in history is just too strong. Um, I think the European team's a lot deeper than we think. Uh, if if Scotty Scheffler isn't performing at his best, if Xander and, and Cantley don't bring the the points they've brought at the last uh, three Team USA events, it, it just there's not many scenarios for the US. That I mean, even though they're deep, they really only have a couple ways to win this, and I can also see this going south really quickly for them. But I think it's close. But I think Europe still pulls it out.
1: Yeah, I think Europe pulls it out too. I pegged a, I, I picked a fifteen thirteen score storyline. So a uh, storyline, excuse me, scoreline. Um, so yeah, a couple points closer than in past, but I think, uh, I think they got just enough to get it.
0: Can we all just knock on wood that we're right that it's going to be close?
1: Oh yeah, I close Ryder right Cup. All right, top point scorer. So I guess this is dependent on who you're picking to win. I'll go first. I picked my top point scorer Tommy Fleetwood for two pretty simple reasons. Uh, the first is. He's played well in, in couple Cup, he played well in a couple rider Ryder Cups. Or he's played well in a couple Ryder Cups now. But also, this course is just like a ball striker's course. And you're going to wheel him out a lot. You can wheel him out with lots of different players. wouldn't surprise me to like see him play with Rory, you know? Which is like, you get some like spillover benefits from doing that. And again, this is just like... It's a really good ball striker's golf course and, and not too long. Which... Uh, I think it just... All of which would say it's just like perfect for a guy like Tommy Fleet.
2: This seems like the uncreative answer uh, given that he was the leading point getter for europe in 2021 but i just think it's wrong uh i think one of the criticisms of this game is that you know maybe he can be a little plotting at times with this play i think this is a course where plotting is going to be good uh, not only does he say the distance he's got the creativity around the green it'll be interesting seeing who he gets paired with just because he was such a such a force of sergio at whistling Straits, but You could pair one of us with Rom. I think he'd still score two and a half points in the first three matches. So to me, if I'm going Europe's winning, I think Rom's the guy to lead him there.
0: I actually think I'd be really good paired with Rom. I think it would be a good choice for McDonald's. I'm going to go with Justin Thomas, and that's an answer I can see being correct, even if the uh, U.S. loses. In fact, I believe, other than Fleetwood and Molinari, he was the leading point getter in Paris. I think he's just like, like you said, Joel, I think all indications – I don't think they're forcing this narrative down our throat because I don't think they care enough. I think all legit indications are his game is really good. And I just think he's such a gamer. And I, I think he's going to come away with a bunch of points with Spieth and then win in singles. I, I think three and a half to four points for for JT. And uh, I think we're, it's going to be a spread the wealth Ryder Cup otherwise. So I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys are two and a half, three, but he's going to be the one.
1: Next up, we have the top USA rookie. Uh, yeah, Tommy Fleetwood was my top point score. That's right. And um, so top USA rookie. <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to go with Sam Burns. And the reason I'm going to go with Sam Burns is because I think, uh, I, I know like him and Scheffler didn't like light it up, but I do think Scheffler is going to have a good Ryder Cup. And I think that if Scheffler, Scheffler is like one of the few who could play five matches if he gets hot and like we'll probably play like four and that if Sam Burns is his kind of first right of refusal partner and Scott Scheffler is playing well you just like and he's a good putter I I could just see him just like I don't want to say riding in his wake a little bit but there's just like a nice little symmetry there right Where I could see him just gathering up a lot of points for that
0: yeah, I'll go away from the Brian Harmon well, and I'll say uh, Max Homa until proven otherwise. Just a such a great performance in the President's Cup. I think he loves this stuff, and I think he pairs well with a lot of people. I, I, I'll go with him. Um, you know, not many choices. There's Wyndham Clark, Brian Harmon, and uh, Burns. But, yeah, Homa's my guy.
2: I'm going with Max as well. Um, I, I just think he, his game, he, he can be paired with a couple guys. I, I think if he's with Morikawa, I think that'd be a really interesting um, duo, but... Uh, just I. It's funny. I I think he I think Harmon's gonna do well. I can see Max doing extremely well or extremely bad. I don't see him just kind of right in the middle. Um, but if, if I had to make a bet, I, I'd bet on Max pulling through.
1: Cool. Then the same question for the Europeans. Top uh European rookie. Uh, I alluded to it before, but I think Sepstraka. I think a, 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 uh Oberg, excuse me, is getting a lot of the headlines but i kind of think sept is playing really well i've seen him stick it to t- uh, t- within <laughs> to within 15 feet on two different drivable par fours uh, already this rider cup and um again like i could see him playing with rory you know i could see him playing with fleetwood i could see him playing with hovland these are some nice like nice guys who he compliments he's kind of a uh he's kind of like a, like a, like a nice white rice base, you know, that you can lay a stuff on top of. And so I think that he could uh, end up kind of doing really well for Europe.
0: Yeah. Any flavor works on Straka. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think probably you're right. I'm going to go with Nikolai Hoigard. Um, Hoigard is somebody who is really good at the hero cup, which, you know, again, that was like the thing that they, they sort of tested all these guys out. I just think he's the kind of guy who could play three matches and go three and zero. So I'll take him as a sort of a sneaky dark horse.
2: I'm riding Straka. I'm with Luke. It's just he, he's not getting any pub. He's going on the radar. This is a guy who finished runner up at the Open. Obviously, wasn't John Deere. Um, I, I think his game. I mean, not not well for this. Not only well for this course. I, I just think he's he seems very at peace with this. He he's excited, but I can also see him not being really ruffled. What you see sometimes rookies experience. So I, I think Strzok is the bet there.
1: Cool. And then finally, before we wrap and start getting officially extremely excited for the Ryder Cup, who is going to haul the winning putt for the team that you chose? My guy is Shane Lowry. I think he's a bit of an emotional, a bit of of an emotional leader on this team. I think he's got the uh, big game gene in him. I can see him. I can see him securing a point in a pivotal match. Uh, Let's mix it up. Joel, what do you think?
2: I think it's Justin Rose. I can see him kind of be in that ninth or ten match, and if we think it's going to be close, it's going to come pretty late. Um, you know, a phenomenal short game. I think Shane Lowry's going to have the best celebration. I think he's going to get the most into it, but in terms of who's going to seal it, I think it's Justin Rose.
0: Yeah, I think, look, we're in the era of loading the boat in singles, and so even if it's close, you're going to see both teams put their big guns up front, and if we do agree that it's going to come down to the wire, it's going to be someone sort of unpredictable. So I'm going to go with Brooks Kepka playing in like the 11th spot or something like that, or maybe even in the 12th spot. Um, I think he's going to be the guy to close it out. My second pick like, uh, is uh, is uh, Brian Harmon. <laughs> I'm going right back to Brian Harmon. But really, I think that's like exactly where he could be in that spot. You're like, Brian Harmon's tough, good guy to put 10th, but maybe like, you know, not one of the load the boat like studs. So yeah, those are my picks.
1: Cool. And there it is. Oh, I'm so excited, boys. I'm so excited. I'm sure we'll continue this conversation over some – some beverages later tonight. Sambuca Sambuca we'll, we'll report back on the Sambuca boys. We'll, we'll make it happen tonight and thanks for listening. Pour one out for yourself and uh, let's go team Yara.